Hi and welcome to this new episode of uh, the State of the Net podcast. I'm Paolo Valdemarin. And I'm Ewan Semple. And I really wanted to tell you about a documentary that I watched uh, recently on Netflix about uh, a group of scientists coming from different disciplines, meeting each other and fun enough all discovering how their domain has become much bigger than it was before recently and how exciting it is. But I cannot find a documentary on Netflix anymore. <laughs> so I'll I'll try hard to find it and put it in the in the episode notes. Um but uh, I cannot find it anymore. They apparently Netflix pulled it. Well that's that's yeah, because that's interesting in itself, isn't it? The fact that you know, the scientists are all, in a way that I find exciting, beginning to, well, the, the, so much of the, so many of the different sciences are heading in a similar direction and they're all, in some ways, heading back to truths that have been known for a couple of thousand years in terms of the the spiritual spiritual traditions. But that, that whole weakening of the certainty that we've enjoyed for the last, I don't know, what, hundred post-enlightenment years, more than that, um, that we're on this scientific path and we will find all the truths and once we've got all the answers, life will get easier. Um, and then and then you can't find the bloody thing on Netflix. It's, um... <laughs> but I, I, And that was the brilliant part of this, uh, of this documentary, was how th- they all come from different... So you had biologists uh, and physicists uh, and psychologists and they all meet each other and uh, you have couples so one goes to see the other and learn about uh, their domain and uh, what uh, is common between all these different disciplines is that uh, in the recently in the last 10 or 20 years there have been breakthroughs that basically reveal the fact that uh, they know so little about it mm-hmm. and what i thought it was interesting probably you know they hadn't been very well selected is how all of them found so exciting the fact that we know so little yeah and uh, and i guess that the other thing that i i i wanted to notice is how documentaries are becoming an almost a new media uh, this is actually i'm going to do a product placement now at uh, at state of the net this year uh Hussein direction mentioned the fact that uh, documentaries are becoming a new type of media if you want to to publish an idea a documentary on netflix or one of the other of the other platforms is it has become a new way of uh, publishing science which I had, I mean, I'm watching a lot of documentaries, but I had not realized until I heard that on the stage. It's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I had a meeting this week with uh, somebody who works for one of the big uh, conventional media organizations and not my own former employer, I just hasten to add. And we were talking about um, their role, the role of the news journalists and the media generally. And he was optimistic about an increasing appetite for subscription and you know the whole thing about micropayments has rattled around the internet since it started and we've never really cracked it but I think the appetite for documentaries um, the appetite for podcasts I was listening to a podcast with um, Joe Rogan and Neil deGrasse Tyson the physicist who has his own podcast and he was saying how much of an appetite there appears to be for good thoughtful 
science podcasts. And, you know, this is sort of, in a, in a way, what some of us have been saying all along, that once people get over the, the fun of sharing pictures of cats, there's still a potential for us to use the internet for really worthwhile stuff. And, and if we start finding new means to access clever people through their own documentaries or podcasts or whatever, um, then ultimately that, that's a good thing. And if you combine that with this easing of the certainty that we've got all the answers... Um, you know, that's partly why I remain optimistic about all of this. And it sort of relates to an article that uh, Dennis Howlett wrote recently, which he referenced me several times, so thanks for that, Dennis, but about the shifting nature of the workplace and the fact that he, he referred to a bottom-up revolution, which I'm not sure is a good way of talking about it because it sort of implies hierarchy still in a sort of revolutionary feel that I don't think is appropriate. But I prefer Stowe Boyd's phrase edgelings to describe the fact that the network the collective intelligence is going faster than the top and the middle and the top and the middle aren't very used to dealing with that and I think these are all symptoms of the same sort of trend that as people mature in their use of the technologies as they realize the consequences of sharing rubbish and the polarization that that can cause again you know I'm optimistic that we will work out how to do this to our best advantage and, and I think these these are all signs of the same thing. Yeah, it's uh, actually going back for a second to, to documentaries. Uh, another very good documentary I watched is uh, the new Ken Burns documentary about the Vietnam War, which is also Netflix. And it's uh, 10 episodes, 17 hours of, uh, of history. And it's, uh, and it's so interesting, so good. And uh, and one of the interesting aspects is uh, seeing how the media and the public reacted to the news about the Vietnam War, and how probably during those years between the the, the in, during the sixties uh, you had this first evolution of going from a very top-down mm. approach to news uh, where everything was very institutionalized uh, to these first uh, journalists to start trying to tell a slightly different angle uh, angle for the story and how a, a larger and larger group of uh, American population and probably worldwide population started reacting to what was mainstream and mm. trying to find uh, other sources and trying to in a way, starting to be mature, not just being on the receiving part, but being critical and uh, and trying to find alternatives. And probably, if we if we look at what we can do today with uh, uh, on on the internet, it's just a, a much much more powerful uh, version of that. And uh, and of course, with with uh, also a lot of more responsibility and with a lot of more challenges that we're we're all seeing yeah and, and as you rightly said just another iteration in the same shift if if you like and again in this conversation with the chap from the news group we were talking about blockchain in that context as well and the fact that they were looking into blockchains as a way of accrediting news sources or information sources or you know, I've heard this talked about before, you know, even just in terms of individual identity, but also credibility and peer accreditation rather than centralised institutional accreditation. 
And, you know, I was saying to him that I, for many years, have talked about the idea of podcasting for journalism, where I don't want to buy an album anymore because I'm wary of the three rubbish tracks that get put in with the ones that I actually want. And I now see newspapers in much the same way. There's maybe two or three articles that I really want and will get value from and then an awful lot of other stuff that I that I don't. And, you know, in many ways, RSS was always our means of achieving that playlist of stories or journalists or whatever. And, you know, I still maintain an RSS uh, reader and I still manage the feeds so that I get, a, I think, a quality feed of people finding out stuff that matters. Um, and so I think that... Uh, the need to find other ways of navigating our way to, and I'm always paused before I say this, the truth, whatever the hell that means, um, is again part of the learning process. And if, as you say, documentaries are becoming an increasingly important part of that, then that's a, that's a great thing. I guess that the, the real challenge is uh, how you create, to strike the right balance between, you know, moving into an ego chamber where you only see what you want to see uh, and uh, on the other end of the spectrum being completely passive finding a way to be your own dj and at the same time allowing for serendipity allowing for random things i mean sometimes there was a song on that album that you would not have bought but was good yeah, that's true um, so it's uh, it's uh, f- striking the balance there. I think it's I think it's something that I mean personally I think that I'm struggling to achieve at right now, and I've been doing this for for many many years, and uh, I think it will take some time yeah. before it goes really mainstream. And it comes and goes, um, doesn't it? I mean, I, I it, and I think it's I would describe it slightly differently from the way you just did. I don't think it's quite as polarized as that it's not it's not all or nothing in the sense that you don't need you know ending up in an echo chamber is a choice and and always has been you could choose to keep the company of certain people you could choose to read the telegraph or the guardian you know in some ways it's not a result of the internet the ability to only be listening to views that you agree with and but that's a slightly different thing from the opportunity for serendipity and for discovery beyond your actual experience I think that the two different things and certainly that was always the premise of the BBC's inform educate and entertain you know what it's which at its worst could become knowing what was good for people uh, but at its best was that stretching people into areas they might not otherwise discover um, and I, I think you're right in the sense that it's not in our own gift necessarily you know well I maybe I mean I sometimes go off piste as I call it you know I'll just Rather than just following my normal, well-worn paths to the same people, I'll just start randomly surfing around the internet and following links and following my nose and just getting a better sense of what's out there and what I'm missing and what might be what might be becoming an echo chamber. But I think you're right, it's, it's a set of skills that some of us have been trying to refine for a long time. Most people haven't really had the chance or the need to discover yet. And I, and I think are skills that we could be teaching, we, we, we could be and should be teaching in schools. You know how to how to find oh, find and verify quality information. Oh, but even I, I I think that even more simply how to use uh, the tools. That, I mean, I yeah, think that, that yeah. they should teach in school how to use Facebook uh, or <laughs> yeah. any other social media tool. In is uh, how you can fine tune your 
Um, I mean, probably they, you don't need to because kids in school are actually just much smarter than what we admit. They should actually teach to adults how to use Facebook. Uh, but, uh, for example, recently I've noticed that I have started unfollowing some people on Facebook uh, because I just started to find the, uh, you know, the situation in Italy right now, politically speaking, is... Uh, I say not particularly happy if you happen to be on, especially if you happen to be on one side, which is the side of the intelligent people. And uh, <laughs> not that you're and, biased. Uh, yeah, no, but not at all, not at all. Uh, but uh, I, I started to find my Facebook, Facebook quite depressing because. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, most of the news I was getting, it's uh, it was it, it's even worse than Trump. I mean, it's it's uh, and so I literally started unfollowing people that were just being negative and uh, and look, it's not like I follow the news. I know what's going on and I understand the frustration, uh, but uh, I don't need that much frustration in my life. No, and that's and, and I uh, think that's perfectly legitimate. I mean, I've done the same over the years and it's not that I it's not just because I disagree with them and it's not um, that I'm wanting to have a placid and and unperturbed existence online it's just that if your overall experience is becoming sufficiently negative then it's entirely up to you to do something about it you know and even down to it's, it's the nature of the engagements as well I mean I've unfriended a couple of folks who you know I've known for a long time but who I, would end, I was ending up sort of almost being nervous about writing a post because I was waiting for them to jump down my throat. And you can't do that. You know, I, can't, I couldn't continue like that. So you can have a disagreement, and I was, I'm very happy. I love it when we have disagreements on my Facebook thread and people have different perspectives from my own. But if all I'm having is somebody ranting at me, um, very often because they haven't read the bloody post in the first place, um, it gets irritating. So again, that's interesting, isn't it, how that motivation to manage your ecology to maintain your own sanity its quality uh, avoid the risk of echo chambers it's a whole whole new set of skills isn't it because we've, we've kind of passively outsourced that to the media for, for most of our lives but i mean exactly but what, what i think is interesting is is actually that we have plenty of tools to do that mm-hmm. and i think that uh, mm-hmm. but i think that most people don't do that i think that most people are do do not fine tune their stream they just you know like shit and they get it and uh, and i mean i i think there is plenty of people that actually walk away from some social media channels because they cannot be bothered to to optimize it for them and then they basically say oh you know i on facebook or name any other social media channel say you know there is only cats and and yeah, stupid yeah. things and yeah. you know you said well because you're just following idiots that's right. yeah, so your friends you're talking a, about yeah yeah exactly it's the problem is not facebook the problem is your friends or the problem is who you selected as your friends well i, I had I had, this, not, I had the two extremes in the same conversation the other day there with this chap i was speaking to started off having a rant about you know this he just basically mouthed the stereotypical media facebook's you know social media's gone toxic, it's all a mess, blah, blah, blah. And then started giving me examples of how it had been used really powerfully <laughs> by people he knew. 
and and it just didn't seem to strike him that these were the same thing that he was talking about, basically. Um, and I think I I almost have a feeling that of them letting us letting the rest of us down if they walk away. You know, the thing won't improve if it doesn't have a robust exchange of different views in it. No, actually, that 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 is the fact. I mean, very often I have friends who stopped using Facebook, and uh, and to be honest. I'm sad. I mean, mm-hmm. I was happier when they were on Facebook mm-hmm. because uh, I think because I'd like them and I like what they were sharing. Mm-hmm. I, I I was feeling their frustration. I was feeling the fact that they were not happy. Yeah, and, and I wouldn't and, be dismissive you know, of all, it. Yeah, yeah. And I know, and by all means, I mean, if this is making you un- unhappy, uh, then then probably it's what you should do. But. I always have the feeling said, well, maybe you're not doing it right. Maybe you, you, you should find a better way to deal with this because uh, because walking away from it is not really... Because, I mean, the, the, the point is, you, you walk away from social media today and what do you do? I mean, it's, <laughs> you start aggregating feeds again. I mean, or I you watch TV or you just shut yourself in a room and don't... I mean, Paris, it's, I thought you might read a book, Paolo. No, look, I reading. I do read books, <laughs> and, and I I listen to audiobooks. But the funny thing is that what book do I oh, read yes. are actually books that I find through totally, social media. Totally, I say the same. Uh, and yeah. uh, and uh, you know, I listen to podcasts, and I find podcasts through social media. I'm actually, I mean, between watching TV, documentaries, podcasts, uh, audiobooks, printed books. Uh, I think that uh, these days my media diet is uh, as rich as it has yeah, ever I'm been. Yeah, I'm the same. I say the same to people. Like the quality and the relevance and the fun, frankly, that I get from incoming sources has never been better. Also because the, the quality is uh, definitely increasing. I mean, you have more and more... Uh, as we were saying earlier about documentaries, I mean the Vietnam documentary is uh, it cost thirty million dollars or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's some huge investment, and uh, and it's very good quality television, or maybe it's not even television anymore. It's very good quality PBS or Netflix. Well, we we, that's the trouble. We don't. We sort of don't have a word for it, do we? Because we still label the things by the media that they used to most commonly be delivered that, on. No, that's 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 what that's why in a way what is what I find novel about these documentaries is that they almost they're not television anymore. Mm-hmm. They are freed from television. So I can share with you a link to a documentary. Yes. I, I, you yes. Know, d- documentaries did exist ten years ago, but I couldn't give you a link to a documentary. Uh, and uh, this make them part of the of the general so media that, diet. Yeah so that's that that was the gist of this. If only I can find a bloody thing. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's that's what I think broadcasters just don't get um, because of their name. <laughs> They're still broadcasters. Um, but I still, <clears throat> I think we ha- we need people who are good at telling stories, who have the money to tell stories well, which obviously these things cost can cost a lot of money. They don't need to, but they can. Um, and I also think, in the same way as I say with professional communicators in a corporate environment, that rather than doing it for me, it would be great if they helped me to do it better myself. And I think broadcasters could have a huge impact by making their content, and and (laughs) this chap and I talked about content and Hallie Suits' phrase about content as a pimp's word. 
And, and <laughs> content is a problematic word because it tends to mean a thing, an object that you kind of hurl at other people. But I think creating content in in a context of creating stimulus for interesting conversations, you know, um, was it the social object that, that Hugh used to talk about, Hugh McLeod? Um, I think broadcasters and, and, and the media could, their intentions matter. And if they could make more content that was a, a stimulus for grown-up conversations, that, that would be great. But I think that, uh, I, I do think that it is happening. I mean, if you look at, for example, Netflix, I mean, they are spending a lot of money producing content. Mm-hmm. And it is not just a TV show. I mean, many of these documentaries are actually Netflix productions. Yeah. Um, now they're saying that Apple is uh, starting their own content play, and if there is one company with enough money, that's them. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, the, the other day we were playing with friends, and we noticed uh, how if we humans decide to sell Apple and just share the money that we get uh, between all of us, seven and a half billion <laughs> humans on the planet... <laughs> we all get, each one of us get $130. I mean, basically, we all get an Apple TV. But who would we sell it to? I don't know, Martians? <laughs> Elon Musk? Yeah, oh yeah. It is crazy, um, isn't it? Yeah. It, but it gives you the idea of the scale, how much a, yeah. a, a trillion dollars is. Uh, but I mean, all these uh, all these uh, uh, companies, I mean, and, and I think there are others that are realizing that uh, that there is a whole new game and that uh, and that there is plenty of of space for niches there yes. is plenty of yes. space to yes. you know make the funky little documentary that uh, it's well, will never be mainstream but uh, if you have a distribution channel as big as Netflix it's uh, it's big enough so you this know, this you, you this is interesting because this sort of relates back to that article that Dennis wrote and the idea of edgelings and the role of managers in organisations and the, the role of gatekeepers in any context. And the challenge, I think, at the moment <clears throat> for people who are trying to make interesting, relevant stuff is they either sort of go their own way and, and you know, some of them can be very successful. Some of the podcasts become huge without any support from existing media companies. But certainly, telly and investigative journalism still costs money. And you end up supping with the devil, as it were, trying to find funding and resource from existing media companies. And, of course, you then get sucked into their W1A world of politics and bias and not always making the right decisions. So I think at the moment we've got this kind of like mixed economy where, where you still... And, you know, and this is where Netflix are really interesting and I'd be fascinated to sort of know more about how they organise themselves and how they run themselves. But certainly the... Existing media companies, I think, have got too much legacy attitude and, and assumptions about their role that can sometimes make it hard for the ecosystem to, to develop around them. Yeah, well, I think that I, I think that the kind of mainstream media companies, uh, on one side, they're probably still connected to an old uh, economic... I mean, again, we're talking about subscription... Uh, in the case of Netflix versus other type of mm-hmm. uh, of business models, and uh, and I I think that the whole subscription model is so interesting. I mean, I'm I'm working with uh, a company producing 
daily a daily news briefing, and um, and it's subscription based. It, it costs very little. It costs like two euros a month or or something like that. And and they're being very successful and very happy, and uh, and they're growing. We're building new platform, new features, and uh, I find it it is so interesting how you can have a sustainable uh, journalistic effort uh, which is completely disintermediated. So it's as simple as uh, as a journalist, uh, I will prepare your daily briefing. And you give me a little bit of money. Mm-hmm. There is no <laughs> yeah. advertising. There is yeah. no social media. There is no other things in the middle. It's uh, it's uh, and, and I think that this also offer a very clear deal between the the yes. the reader yes. and whoever is creating. And I appreciate that. I mean, they are the type of work that they do can be done in these terms. Of course, if you need to send somebody on the other side of the planet, you need to have a different model, but. Um, well, but also, I think, you know, another story I was hearing recently was about AI being used to not only identify sources of information, but to also, to some extent, fact check and, you know, um, critique those sources and then assemble stories. And, and, you know, that's a technology that's getting increasingly smart. And I compare that, frankly, to some of the journalists I've known over the years who weren't that smart. Um, who were just feeding the beast with with content, and you know the media companies. <laughs> you know, I hope none of my former friends are listening or former colleagues are listening to this because um, you know I think news businesses could save huge amounts of money if they just stopped doing the noise, uh, got some machines to do the noise, and spent the money on the signal. Um, but I don't think any of them have got the the, the guts to do that, frankly. Well, it's it's uh, it's uh, you know if if you think about the news, think about an AI big enough as smart enough to be able to follow a lot of channels. It started to become the case where, I mean, the, the example that just ma- I, that I just made, which is a typical example of any news organization, said, "Well, but if you need to send somebody over there to figure out the news, that's expensive." Mm-hmm. Saying, so, "Yeah, but probably there is somebody over there already figuring it out. Maybe we don't need to send somebody. Yeah. Maybe we just have to have a system which is smart enough to find that information and make it make it accessible to me." Yeah. So, probably the mistake that I was making is uh, trying again to apply an old model to a new system and uh, and the new system is really completely different and allows for things that uh, uh, that we cannot we, we haven't imagined yet probably yes and that and that that's i think a challenge that's affecting all sorts of industries that we're all increasingly aware that our old assumptions are becoming weaker our old ways of doing things are becoming less effective but they kind of leap into the dark to what's coming next feels like a big leap still doesn't it well i guess we're all, everybody clings on what they know because uh, because jumping in the dark void is uh, is scary and mm. it's uh, and I, I also think that it is interesting the fact that uh, because it is scary we probably imagine things oh, that uh, will never for happen sure. For sure. while there are i mean something that i was uh, thinking about as we were discussing is that probably one of the most interesting impact uh, of uh, ai uh, that we are already seeing without realizing is the quality of translation 
mm-hmm. the fact that languages are becoming less and less of a barrier. Yeah. So uh, th- there was a very interesting article about the um, uh, the World Cup in in Russia, and it was said how it was the first time that you had a major event where people were actually interacting using real time translation on their phone. <laughs> and uh, and how you know people went there, they ate food, they met friends, they were dating women. I mean, and everything worked because uh, they could communicate. Because it was the first time the translation was good enough to mm-hmm. to be able to support this kind of interaction. Fantastic. And uh, you know, if you think about it, uh, how much of news reporting is just is about sending somebody to report on the news and where the talent that this person have is not so much finding the news it's just that they speak your language but you know yeah. how far are we from the point where we can understand every language and every person on the planet so we don't need to send somebody who speaks our language we can just communicate with somebody we can just understand an, an, an article or probably at some point even a newscast from from another from another country but then have you, have you seen how good um so, sorry have you seen how good subtitling is on on youtube automatic subtitling well funnily I enough mean, my mum was just ranting about how bad the subtitling is on the bbc just yesterday but yes I, it, but i mean i i was amazed uh, actually the 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 video that we did together a few months ago in in uh, in shortage mm-hmm. um i i uploaded the video of you, you speaking for 20 minutes and uh, had YouTube do the automatic subtitling, wow. probably we had to make 10 corrections in 20 minutes. Goodness me. It was, it was, uh, and I'm not even mentioning accents. So that, I mean, so that, that was, would have passed the Rab C. Nisbet test I, then? I, I think that you will be able to, to, to use a voice control elevator. Boy, uh, <laughs> and, and maybe if I just carry one of these devices when I'm with other people and then... Then they'll understand what I'm meant to be saying. That'd be very useful. <laughs> you you will be wearing a, a, a little <laughs> subtitle device, just hanging under your face, <laughs> and you. T- but as you're talking, subtitles will appear for others to. Well, that's right. That would be that would be brilliant. I mean, I think the technology to do that is almost there. But so going back to your point about if we just had access to a, a, a translated feed from from countries or whatever it surfaces the fact that so much of the news business is about filtering um either conscious or unconscious bias as well in the sense that you know i'm very aware that if i've ever ended up on the news on the telly or the radio it was probably because i was the first person on the person's contact list who answered the phone um and there's very often not much more critical thinking goes into it than that and you know if you stick a foreign journalist you know, they all have to go to a country for the first time. And, and if you've got a country that's become a origin of a news story and there's nobody who's been there before and suddenly you get somebody plonked in there having to desperately find out. And, you know, they're skilled at it. That's what they get trained in. And they're good at finding out who's telling the truth and who's worth talking to and who's not. But it's still a very flawed process. But that process is still arguably, hmm, discuss, better or more likely to get something than simply listening to the unconstrained, unfiltered noise that's being generated locally. 
Yeah, again, it's a time. I think that it is about uh, finding and striking the right balance. Is uh, and and that could be again a case where a well-trained, you know, your Mm -hmm. own Mm well-trained AI one day will be able. You'll be able to say, okay, find me a point of view on this, and uh, and you'll be able to to get it immediately, or even stretch stretch my thinking on this. You know. Find me somebody well, credible you know, who'll make me think harder about this topic or whatever. Yeah, I mean, okay, and and if you think about it, it can. Did you read how uh, the thing the news came out this week? Uh, Facebook is actually they have a credibility index not only on news sources but on users. Mm-hmm. And uh, and of course, I mean, that's what the blog, very simply, the blog role used to be in the old days, wasn't it? I think. But exactly, but but I think that they, in their case, they are using it. In the, they're using this to, you know, find in an easier way sources mm-hmm. that are somehow skewed or or they're trying to to you know play the game. If you have a user who constantly uh, is sharing news that are later proven to be fake, you know, by observing yeah. that user, will, you will probably find more fake news. But that's but the same in, sort of algorithm. In this same. But the, the worrying, I mean, it's funny, even through that description, I was getting excited and thinking, gosh, it's amazing they don't do more than they do already. But then I was also thinking, but that's the trouble, that, that type of an algorithm about the value of what somebody is or isn't saying can then be used to manage society. And, and that then gets problematic. Oh, well, but, you know, I, I think that the, the moment you have... Uh, algorithms that uh, allow you to understand people and to decide uh, who is better and who is worse you have a very powerful tool and who gets and, to decide uh, that algorithm that's that's the issue yeah well i mean i, I think that the, the interesting thing about the algorithm is that it could be decided in a collective way i mean we can all together decide something and, and again it's not a one it, it's probably not a positive or negative things and yeah. of course there are many many facets so it is so what is meaningful for me might not be meaningful for you but what what i think is interesting is that we could create an uh, a machine that is much more optimized to find and help understanding things as opposed to a machine yeah. that we have now yeah. which is uh, which is built to collect information and to and it's a extremely redundant and wasteful it's every time i see uh, you know any major news event and you have all the tv crews in front of it and every tv crew there is a cameraman and there is a journalist uh, and they're all speaking into the camera and you know with the same thing and very often from different bits of the same organization in the case of the bbc but yes uh, so, but, but but the question is why there are so many oh, I, I mean I it's the same they're all saying telling the same story they're not I mean let's be honest they're not giving us different angles of the same story they're all reporting exactly the oh, same thing well, they can, well that's, just, that, that's going back to my, my point about the inefficiency possibly being the strength that they do come back you know the Telegraph will tell a story very differently from the Guardian when they will write the article from whatever you know when they will write the article yes when they're standing under the rain telling you the real-time news i think i think they are reporting pretty much exactly the same thing i think that it's this is still 
pieces of old newscast media where yes, you had to send yes. somebody and uh, and that is how it used to work and that's how it still but, I mean, you know, so this is making me think again of that article that I know I keep referring to, but the ideology of algorithms, where at the end of that, I, you know, it's one of these daft ideas that you and you said at the time you could have dismissed, but I could see this becoming a thing in 10 years or so, where I suggest that we could get the the AI to write our next ism. You know, if, if capitalism and socialism are running out of steam and out of date, then get AI to watch our behaviours, watch, watch co- what causes distress and friction, don't remove it altogether because you want a bit of a stretch. You don't want to have a completely placid, easy, boring life. Um, but we could all just agree to sign up for whatever rules the AI comes up with. And, you know, it's not that daft an idea um, because our, our current methods of trying to achieve the same thing uh, are, are increasingly <laughs> flawed. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And on that note, I think we can wrap up today's episode and start saying goodbye and if you want to get a hold of us uh, where can they find where can people find you Paolo you can find links to all my channels on my personal website which is uh, Paolo Valde that is P-A-O-L-O-V-A-L dot D-E and where they can find you and they can find me at youandsample.com and as ever uh, we would be very grateful if people can review Uh, the podcast on iTunes, which seems to be a good way to get more people paying attention to it. Thank you very much, everybody, for listening, and see you soon. Goodbye.